I've just try and keep everything feeling natural. So it's like, you know, it's nice that what we're doing has been really well received. And I just, you know, it's just good sort of affirmation that like, yep, what you're doing is working. So just keep doing it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've talked about the exciting culinary evolution going on in the nation's capital, how a band of young professionals are creating a new wave off the back of the foundations built by a few legends before them. There's one small group in particular that are not only helping shine a light on what's happening in Canberra, but could hold their own in any capital city. Malcolm Hanslow is a co-owner and executive chef of Pilot and such and such in Canberra. Malcolm, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. It's good to get you on the show. You guys are doing some pretty amazing things and you're a bit of an underrated uh, chef with with what you're plating up. Um, how are things going with the new place, such and such? Yeah, going really well. We've been open nearly two months now. So, sort of at that stage, I've got first time to really sort of take a breath. What, what's it been like opening a second venue off the success of, of Pilot, which we can talk about soon, but something that's a little different? Is it, has there been challenges creating this second venue? Um, it's been challenges um, just in regards to freeing myself up to give it the right amount of time. Um, but it's something I've sort of had in the back of my mind for probably the last two years-ish now. So from the food standpoint, just getting the food and the menu together, it wasn't wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad, to be honest. Was there a different approach? Um, Pilot, you know, holds its own amongst the best restaurants in Australia and such and such is a, a more casual uh, offering. But did you have to get in a different headspace in regard to the food? Yeah, definitely. There was um, sort of many times when I were, were going through the menu planning phase and then I was like, Mal, why are you making it so complicated? You know, like, um, there was a lot of tweaking and altering to not so, just to take a little bit out of it because I wanted to do offer something that was um, more simple, a little bit more approachable, but still really like delicious. And also to give it, it has to have a different identity than pilot. I didn't see the point in doing a pilot too. It's interesting hearing you talk of your food as perhaps getting a little bit too complicated because it's been a real trademark from my perspective of your food is the lack of complication in dishes. Yeah. um, I just think there's a lot of techniques. There's a lot of what we do is hidden behind it. I don't like to be too flashy. There's there's no doubt there's a lot of technique uh, behind it. Does it take you a little while to sort of accept that restraint on the plant? What's, what's the process been like to sort of make it less complicated? Um, it's, been, it's been nice. It's a, little, it's a good little refresh, to be honest. I want to explore what you're doing at such and such and, and also this, the amazing success that Pilot has had uh, in its short life. But take us back to when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play in your family growing up? Um, I guess on a day-to-day basis, it wasn't much. I had two um, single parents, so they were really – busy working so there was a lot of um just a lot of basic sort of my dad's got one dish so he's really he's got his one dish which is um crumbed lamb cutlets and then just like microwave veg on the side <laughs> then there's a lot of um tomato sauce that was 
Um, so there's a lot of sort of just cheap takeaways. You know, they were really busy. They both worked a lot. But then with my grandparents, um, they were living in there's a small town called Marywall, which is sort of in the Upper Hunter region. So I'd go up to there a lot during school holidays um, and that was unreal. Their neighbours used to – I didn't really – when you're a little kid, you don't realise how cool it is, you know, but their neighbours were – they'd grow they had probably oh, – I've got no idea how big it is really, maybe 60, 80 acres. Um, and heaps of peaches and they were growing strawberries and um, I remember they used to breed quails for sale to restaurants. Um, which was just, it was really cool to see all that stuff. Do you remember any sort of um, feasts or, or um, dinners that you had with your grandparents that have sort of lived on from you, with you? Yeah, I remember we used to get, uh, my favourite when I was a little kid, I was a, oh man, I loved eating when I was a kid. Um, we always used to have just like vanilla ice cream and then my granny would always cook down um, all the peaches at the end of the season and just like a sugar syrup and preserve them. It was just unreal. It was so, yeah, it was my favourite. <laughs> when did you first start getting interested in food and and consider it as a potential career? Um, it wasn't until a bit later on. I left school reasonably early and um, I just I just needed a job. So I started um, out, I was a kitchen hand. Um, and then sort of... Slowly, I loved being a kitchen hand. It was really good. Like, it was great at the time. All I wanted to do was go to the skate park. So it was the perfect job. Or I could just go to the skate park all day, rock into work at five, put my head down, do the pots, go home, happy days. Um, and then I sort of slowly started to switch on. I remember, you know, have staff meal a few times and I was like, wow, this is awesome. You know, how are these guys doing this? And then slowly, you know, jump over, have a look at the desserts and then, all of a sudden you're getting rostered on for kitchen shifts and then you're not really doing the dishes anymore. Tell us about those sort of first few years. What were the really important venues and people that you worked with that helped sort of set you on your trajectory? Um, I'd probably say the first place I really switched on, it was called Elicure actually. It was with um with Josh. You had him on a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, I worked there. I just sort of heard um, – I was working at another place and it was probably when I was a second year apprentice and I heard, oh, you know, there's these guys over in Belconnen, these young guys and they're pushing really hard and they're, you know, and I was like, sounds pretty good. Why don't I have a go over there? Um, so I ended up, I just walked in, got a job there and it was very simple cooking, looking at it now, but I think it gave me a really good sort of foundational techniques, you know, if we were making, you know, just making creme caramel, for example, you know, it was set, you know, showing you how to set it perfectly or when you're cooking off your sofrito, how far to cook a sofrito, like that sort of very basic stuff, but they were really big into um, the basics being done really well. You've been part, you mentioned Josh briefly, but you, you and he have been part of this evolution that's grown in Canberra and contributed in various ways. Has there been venues that have been really important from your perspective that you've worked at to help that evolution? Yeah, I think um, 86 changed Canberra quite a bit. Yeah. Um, that was that was really good. And, you know, that was my first – I was really young then. That was my first big sort of head chef role. Um, there was a lot to take on at the time. <laughs> I was 23 or 24. So, yeah, it was, a lot. It was definitely um, 
uh, I just used my relentless energy to make up for the lack of talent that I had and experience. <laughs> yeah, we got it done. It was pretty wild at the time. It was good. What surprised you about that, about that role as head chef at the time and what were the challenges that you faced? Um, I'd never... I think at the time I'd always been... I'd have been a sous chef before, but up until that point, like I'd never had to be responsible for so many people before and then really realising, you know, I had to have not only be on top of what I was doing, but then I had to sort of be on top of what I was doing but be able to free myself up to help others and give myself like time to train and time to manage effectively, I suppose. At such a young age, being in such a, an important role, tell us about your food at that time. What was it like trying to sort of create your voice on the plate? Oh, it was, it was challenging. Um, I guess sort of, yeah, challenging and I didn't really, I just wanted to make it just really, really tasty. That was all. And I kind of, I don't know, looking back at the time, you know, I didn't have as much experience as I should have, um, <laughs> but you're just going for it, you know. Well, well, 86 did take Canberra by storm. Were there any sort of dishes that really stand out from your time there as head chef that you can tell us about that you think sort of were part of that evolution? Yeah, I just remember I was really – what's a good one? Probably um, they did this black chicken dish, which is just like um, – which is sous vide chicken legs and then just basted in this really like quite spicy, sweet, salty sort of barbecue-y marinade number. Um, and then we'd just blast it under the salad. So it would get like really, really blackened and barbecue-y. It was um, um, with like a lot of coleslaw. Yeah, it was always like a really, like a well-dressed coleslaw, you know. I think I kind of, you know, I geeked out on probably the making of the coleslaw way more than yeah, I always find like vegetables extremely interesting. You know, you you spent some time in Sydney at a number of restaurants. Take us on that experience. What was it like for you um, moving to Sydney, and and what were some of the venues that really had an impact on you? Yeah, it was great. So, sort of eighty six did really well, um, and I was there for around three three and a half years ish, and then I sort of just got to a point, and I was like, I want to continue to learn. Um, so, um, I was luckily enough, I had a friend of mine who was working at Automata and he got me a job there. Um, yeah, and it, it was great. It was great. I'm really, I think it was a good age and a good sort of stage in my career to sort of take a step back, um, and just go and learn. Um, and I was really, really lucky that I'd been cooking for a while at that point, um, because it sort of just really let me focus on a little bit deeper than just trying to keep up. You know, I could really focus on, like, why is the food great here? Um, Clayton Wells uh, did amazing things with Automata. What did you take from your time um, working with him and working at that restaurant? Yeah, oh, it was great. Um, just a lot of just the precision, the precision and, like, how, I don't know, it sounds weird, but how autonomous, you know, he implemented changes and just so many um, different cooking techniques that I hadn't 
sort of seen before, different ways to do things. You know, it was a quite a busy place. I think at the time, you know, we're doing sometimes there'd be five or six of us in the kitchen and we're doing around 120 covers. And yeah, but just how seamlessly he could just blend it and merge it. Um, unreal. And just, yeah, he had just had so much experience and yeah, he was, yeah, fantastic cook. What sort of impact did your time in Sydney have on you? Were you there for long? Uh, I was there for about four and a half years all up. Um, yeah, it was really good. I'm so glad I did it. It was a hard, um, sort of a hard decision to leave. But just sort of, I was kind of at a point in my career where I realised like I'd been doing a few little pop-up things because I was like, all right, Mal, if you want to be serious about this, you know, you've got to learn and go and cook your own food again, um, essentially. Um, and then, you know, I needed to practice. I'd been doing my own pop-up things. Generally in Canberra, I just had – I had more connections in Canberra to be able to do that. Um, and then, yeah, just sort of, you know, the opportunity came up to come down and open – pilot so that yeah it just worked well tell us about that opportunity how did it come about and um what what forced your hand what what led to you moving back to to jump into it oh so um i'd been mates with ross and dash for years and they did a few little pop-up things in canberra years ago so you know i'd come down i'd help them do a few different events and they'd came to a few of mine and we all met um, working at 86. It was around oh, nine, nine, ten years ago now. Um, and I'd always – Dash was working in, in Sydney at Momo, so we'd sort of go for it. We'd just have a weekly hang, um, usually on a Monday. <laughs> um, and then you know, we talked about it quite a bit. And they were really keen to open something. Um, and I guess, guess, you know, it was just – I had a feeling, you know, it was just time to go home, so – Pilot's impact is is quite extraordinary, but I know you've had lots of challenges and and sort of getting it up and running and getting people over the line with what you guys had created there. But is the original vision and concept sort of what we see today with Pilot? Um, I suppose it's kind of morphed over time. You know, I think what you what you want changes as you slowly go, and it's kind of always worked. You know, I didn't ever expect pilot to be a degustation restaurant <laughs> to be honest. But, um, yeah I had a bit of so we decided to go to degustation only um, after the first lockdowns um, and I was quite nervous about it to be honest I was sort of I guess I'd always had a feeling that you know even though I'd worked in a lot of degustation only restaurants at that time um, I was always like, that's what, like, the really good chefs do, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I, was quite, I was quite nervous. I was like, well, well, all right, let's have a go, you know. But, um, yeah, I'm glad we did now. Let's talk about your food at Pilot a little bit because cause as, you, as you say, before the pandemic, it was incredible food to share at the table and not necessarily a degustation sort of style food. But is there some sort of dishes you can talk about pre-pandemic and then how the food changed a little bit with that adaption to degustation? Yeah, that's uh, cool. So um, I think sort of I remember that lamb kebab dish that we were doing. Um, oh, what cut was it? Um, I think it was lamb shoulder. So I was just portioning up lamb shoulders, slow cooking, and I was doing like a um, 
it was really like quite a quite sort of spicy chili kind of rub and then we're just charring it really really heavily um i think there was a sweet glaze in there i can't really remember (laughs) so it was just like really nice like pull apart sort of lamb um there's these little flatbreads um they were sort of a lot of butter in them so they were really sort of kind of sweet and kind of when you they nearly went a little bit croissanty. They're really nice. Um, and then the sauce we're doing was just like a supercharged garlic sauce. So I just um, caramelizing yogurt. So it was like a caramelized yogurt. So we cook that down for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and just really slowly caramelize it with heaps of confit garlic and then just enough garlic fresh to just sort of give it that a little bit of bite. Um, and then I was working in all the lamb, all the drippings from the roasting of the lamb. I was reducing them really heavily and then reincorporating that into the sauce. I was really quite hectic, um, which was, yeah, so we're doing, I don't know, stuff like that. So it was obviously, there's quite a lot of work, but it's also trying to just present it in a really, um, just a shareable, fun kind of way. Um, you know, and I guess like now, um, food at pilot, a really good example is, so I don't know. I like to, um, it sounds weird, but I like to, when there's big groups of people, I like to sort of watch people eat. And what I noticed was that Hawaiian pizza gets a lot of bad rap, but if it's ordered in a big group of pizzas and there's lots of people eating, it's always one of the ones that's gone first. So, um, we wanted to do like a little Hawaiian tart um, as one of the snacks. So I made a little grassini dough, um, lots of black pepper in it, and then we baked that into a tart shell. Um, then do a little, it's like an anduya, like an anduya set cream um, on the bottom. So that's sort of, you know, your tomato element because it's so small, it's a two biter, so everything's got to be supercharged. Um, then we do it with little bits of fermented pineapple, some little tiny dehydrated smoked um, cherry tomatoes, and then just some really crispy salami on top just to sort of really supercharge the, you know, the traditional ham kind of element. That sounds amazing. One of the wonderful elements of your food is this tongue-in-cheek nature to it. There's often a play on um, some sort of classic thing that you wouldn't necessarily see in such a, a sort of fine dining sort of setting. But, uh, tell us about where your ideas come from and and the creative process for your dishes. Um, I just think it's generally just, I don't know, memories of stuff I had from the takeaway shop or – yeah, I just, I don't know. I just like to have a look at sort of, I don't know, the things that I eat that I enjoy, but then how can I sort of chefferize them? Give us an example of, of one or two of those. I know there's been a few in desserts, so like a Viennetta, is, that's, there was a play on that once. Um. Okay, something I loved when I was a kid, we're doing it at such and such at the moment, is I loved, um, there was a takeaway chain fish and chip store, it was called Ocean Master. <laughs> um, and I used to love it. I remember I used to get it after soccer training on Thursdays. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I've actually come to realise I don't really love fish and chips. I just love tartare sauce, which I know is strange, but I was like, why do you really like this? I just like tartare sauce. <laughs> um, 
So at um, such, I wanted to do a bit of like an Ocean Master throwback. Um, so again, these really nice little dusky flatheads and then I'm tunnel boning them because I wanted to do a whole fish dish, but I wanted to do it in a certain, like a different way. So we're tunnel boning them, but leaving them whole and then um, just um, pancoing them, frying them. But then I was like, so, and then we serve it with like a sort of spiced up yogurty tartare and then just a little salad with lots of pickles and stuff through it. And then I think I wanted to make like a very interesting spice mix for it. So we're doing, um, it's just basically za'atar that's um, blitzed up really heavily with like a big whack of like black and lime through it. And it just really lifts it, I think. It's amazing. Um, let's talk about Pilot for a moment. Its success is is quite phenomenal, but but I know we've had Dash and we've had Ross on on the show previously, and they've talked about the the challenges and moments where you may have closed and and turning points. For you, what, what what's it been like, sort of as the backbone with the food and and those challenging moments? Was was there a turning point where sort of Pilot came to life for you? Yeah, I think. Things really started to come together when we decided to just go full degustation. Um, it kind of took a lot of, uh, just realistically, uh, you know, we went from producing 24 or 25 menu items to producing 12. So, like, obviously the scale goes up, but I just think it really allowed us to just really focus on getting those little things right and we could just push it a little bit further you know spend a little bit spend more time doing less processes that's a, that's an interesting perspective um giving yourself sort of more time did you find that your food changed and the creative process changed a little bit um a little bit i just think um I, all it really allowed me to do is just refine things a touch further um sort of instead of running you know it's not a big team at pilot you know, a lot of the time when we first opened, there'd be three or four of us in the kitchen. So it just, I guess it just allowed me to really just like refine dishes a bit more. Whereas before, you know, a lot of the time it was, oh man, we're really, really busy. Well, I don't really have time for it. Uh, let's just slap this together and then, yeah, it tastes all right and it'll be good in two weeks. <laughs> like, <laughs> whereas now there's a lot more, I think, um, refinement goes into it before we put it on the menu you know and I guess that's also growing up a little bit too you know when you're first you know really trying to push and you know it's like you want to show everyone everything that you know how to do all the time and then you kind of realize the customers don't necessarily want or need that or you don't need to do that you know so you can go a little bit slower you know refine things further before we you know get the go ahead it's a it's a really amazing young dynamic group um with the three of you the trio um dash rumble ross mcqueen and yourself sort of working together tell us about that dynamic and um who sort of looks after what and is is there sort of crossover to get everything and the the, the same sort of message through yeah so ross will do a lot of the finance um which is great as well like you know finance pay runs a lot of the back of house um then Dash looks after the front of house of both venues and we have really great um, restaurant managers in both. So they sort of look after the day-to-day and Dash will sort of run the overarching. Um, and then I just sort of look after the kitchen side of things. 
with that creativity, do they come into sort of the equation when you're creating dishes? Are they sort of a sounding um, box for you? Um, a little bit, but I'm I'm pretty lucky, you know. I just sort of I just go for it, <laughs> like <laughs> a little bit, you know. There's sometimes um, sometimes things that they remember will kind of you know be like, oh, cool, you know. Why don't I do a version of that? You know, whatever they're talking about. You know, I think. A, Good example is um, making us like a little financiers in one of the dishes at Pilot at the moment. And then I remember I got the idea because Ross was talking about how his mum used to make a version when he was a kid that he really loved. Um, but she didn't know the name, so they used to call them Kiefer Cakes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, I'll take a lot of, you know, their kind of, you know, perspective of stuff and then, you know, I'll just make uh, my version of it, I suppose. Mm. Let's talk about Canberra at the moment. You're sort of part of this new wave that's going on. What's it like to be part of it and, and how do you explain to people outside of Canberra sort of what's going on here in regards to sort of this young energy and, and the food scene? Yeah, it's great. It's um, What I've always loved about Canberra is I've always found there's great opportunities here. Um, and then I just think the last, like, you know, five-ish years, you know, I've kind of been back for nearly five years now. Just the, the change, um, it's slowly happening. You know, there's a lot of young guys like Josh is really pushing forward at Rockford, um, which is great. And there's um, Sean McConnell. I really love Rebel Rebel. Um, it's been really, really cool. XO guys are plowing ahead, you know. And then there's a lot of the smaller little um, kind of the younger Guys, you know, I really love, like, the Sanducci. You know, there's all these little hubs. Paranormal Wines is great. You know, it's just weird little hubs, you know, that's starting to really come together, which is great. Under Bakery's doing great things. What, what's this success been like for you? Um, you've had sort of recognition nationally and you're listed in the top ten at one stage as well for, for Pilot. What, what sort of impact has has that sort of had on, on what you do? Um. It's been quite surprising, to be honest. I didn't expect it would. I didn't ever think Pilot was going to do what it's done. Um, I just think it kind of adds pressure um, to a certain degree, um, but pressure is not necessarily a bad thing as well. But it's also like it's a good sort of affirmation that you know we're on the right path, and it's sort of everything has always felt. I've just try and keep everything feeling natural. So it's like you know, it's nice that what we're doing has been really well received and I just, you know, it's just good sort of affirmation like, yep, what you're doing is working. <laughs> so just keep doing it. Well, what you guys are doing is pretty incredible and both venues could hold their own in, in any capital city. Uh, what, what is it that you love about what you do? I just really love cooking, which I know sounds weird, but just like cooking just brings me, you know, a lot of happiness and like heaps of joy. So, yeah, I just love cooking. <laughs> well, it, it it shows in the offering, Mal, um, and uh, a lot of people really love when you cook as well. Uh, it's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. Congratulations on the new venue, such and such, and um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Oh, cool. Thank you so much. It was awesome to be on. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. 
Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.